Babbel.com, Language for Life. Why Babbel? When you want to learn a new language, you want to be able to actually use it with real people in the real world. Every part of Babbel is assumed with that goal in mind. Designed by pros. Lessons with realistic scenarios designed by over 100 linguists. Use whatever you learn. Interactive dialogues that get you speaking confidently. Learn on any device. Compatibility with most devices with lessons that are only 10 to 15 minutes. Remember everything. Reviews that bring everything that bring back everything you've learned. Number one selling language learning app. Download the app today and start learning language for your everyday life from the App Store or Google Play. Choose how you learn. To start with Babbel, choose the plan that works best for you. Babbel app subscription. Get unlimited access to hundreds of award-winning lessons designed for all learners based on level and time commitment. Babbel live subscription. You'll have access to live virtual classes taught by top language teachers available at a variety of Days, times, and levels, plus access to all Babbel online lessons. People love Babbel. Thousands of five-star reviews. Publications love Babbel. The Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, CNN, Forbes, The New York Times, The Washington Post, USA Today, CNET. Choose from following languages. Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Portuguese, Turkish, Dutch, Swedish, Polish, Norwegian, Danish, Indonesian, and many more. Over 10 million subscriptions sold. Dirt by Jeannie Cummins. On the occasion, the first encounter of Javier Crespo Fuentes arrived alone at Lydia's shop on Tuesday morning just as she was setting her chalkboard on a sidewalk outside. That week, she selected 10 books from faraway places to remote on with a high hand chalk sign that read Books Cheaper Than Airline Tickets. She was holding the door open with one leg as she lifted the signs there, and then she then he appeared approaching quickly to help with the door. The bell above them jangled like a pronouncement. Thank you, Lydia said. He nodded, but far more dangerous. She frowned and propped open the easel. I'm sorry. The sign, he gestured, and stood back to assess her lettering. Books are cheaper than traveling, but they're also more dangerous. Lydia smiled. Well, I suppose that depends on where you travel. They went inside, and she left him to his own council while he browsed the stacks, but then at last he approached the can and set his books beside the register. She was startled by his selections. Lydia had owned this store for almost ten years, and she'd stocked it with both books she loved and books she wasn't crazy about but knew would sell. She also kept a healthy inventory of note cards, pens, calendars, toys, games, reading glasses, magnets, and keychains, and it was a, that kind of merchandise along with the splashy bestseller that made her shop profitable. Well, it had Long been a secret pledge of Lydia's that, hidden among all the more popular goods, she was able to make a home for some for her best loved secret treasures, gems that had blown open her mind and changed her life. Books that, in some cases, had never been translated into Spanish, but that she stocked anyway, not because she expected she'd ever sell them, but simply because it made her happy to know they were there. There were perhaps a dozen of these books stashed away on their ever-changing shelves, endearing among a cast of evolving neighbors. Now and again, when a book moved her, she, when a book opened a perfectly undiscovered window in her mind and forever altered her perception of the world, she would add to it the 
little secret rank. Once in a great while, she even tried. She'd even try to recommend one of those books to cut to a customer. She did this only when the customer was someone she knew and liked, someone she trusted and to appreciate the value of the treasure being offered. She almost always disappointed. In the ten years she'd been telling this, only twice had Lydia experienced the pleasure of a customer approaching her counter with one of those books in hand unsolicited. Twice in ten years there had there had been a wild spark of wonder in the shop when the bell above the door was like mistletoe, a possibility of something magical. So when Javier approached Lydia as they stood behind the editor perusing catalogs, when she lifted his selections from the counter to ring them up, she was astonished to find not one, but two of her secret treasures among them, part you fully become by Leah Hager, colon, and whereabouts of Aeneas McNulty by Sebastian Barry. Oh my god, Lydia whispered, is something wrong? She looked up at him and realized that she hadn't actually looked at him yet, despite the cheerful banter earlier. He was fancily dressed for a Tuesday morning in a dark blue dresses and a white guy of hair, an outfit more suitable for Sunday mass than a regular work day, and his thick black hair was parted sharply and combed to one side in an old-fashioned style. The heavy black plastic bands of his glasses were similarly outdated so retro they were almost chic again. His arms slammed hugely behind the thick lenses and his mustache quivered as she considered him. These books, she said, they're two of my favorites. It wasn't Insufficient expression, but all she can muster. Mine too, the man across from her said. The mustache hitched ever so slightly with his hesitant smile. You've read them before? She was holding heart. You bully, you punk with both hands. Well, only this one, she gestured to the one she was clutching. She looked down at its cover. You read in English? She asked in English. I try, yes, he said. My English isn't fluent, but it's close, and this story is so delicate, I'm sure there are things I missed the first time around. I wanted to try again. Yes, she smiled at him, feeling slightly crazy. She ignored this feeling and plowed right ahead. When you're finished, you can come back. We can discuss it. Oh, he nodded eagerly. Do you have a book club here? Her mouth opened slightly. No, she laughed. Just me. All the better. He smiled, and Lydia frowned. Eager to preserve the sanctity of this moment. Was he flirting? Whenever a man's behavior was inscrutable, the answer was typically yes. He pl- she placed the book on the counter and her palm flat against the cover. He read the caution when they had adjusted and endeavored to correct himself. I only meant because sometimes the experience of reading can be corrupted by too many opinions. He looked at the book beneath her hand. A remarkable book. Remarkable. She considered a smile, lifting her scanner from his cradle and pointing it toward the book. When he returned the following Monday, he went directly to the counter, even though Julia was busy with another customer. He waited to one side, cans clasped in front of him, and went to the customer list. She, they smiled proudly at each other. Well, she said, even more incredible than the second time. Yes, Lydia clapped her hands. Oh, one of the book's main characters had a condition where she couldn't prevent herself from jumping off high things. She didn't want to die, but she was constantly hunting hurting herself because of this dangerous impulse. I had the same condition, Javier confessed suddenly. What? No, the condition was fiction. And yet Lydia had it too. Anyone who stood too close to the balcony rail, railing at home, she had to dig her fingers in. She had to press her heels to the floor. She was afraid that one day she would leap over without thinking, without purpose. 
she would splatter on the pavement below and the Acapulco traffic would, stre- would screech and blare, swerving needlessly around her. The ambulance would be too late. Luku would be orphaned and everyone would misinterpret the act as suicide. Lydia had run the scenario through her brain a thousand times as, as a tempted antidote. I must not jump. I thought I was the only one in the world, Javier confessed. I thought it was a crazy fabrication of my mind, and then there it was, in the book. Lydia didn't realize her mouth was hanging open until she closed it. She sat back onto her stool with a jump, with a bump. But I thought I was the only one, she said. Javier straightened his body away from the counter. You also? Lydia nodded. Well, my God, he said in English, and then he laughed. We will start a support group. And then he stood there talking with her for so long that she even that she eventually offered him a cup of coffee, which she accepted. She pulled a stool around to the far side of the counter so he could drink it in comfort. He was careful not to get foam on his mustache. They talked about literature and poetry and economics and politics and the music they both adored. And he stayed for nearly two hours until he, she began to worry that he'd be missed somewhere. But he waved his hand dismissively. There is nothing on there. There is nothing out there more important than this. It was just as Lydia had always hoped life in her bookstore would be one day. In between the workday drudgery of running a business, that uh, she might entertain customers who were as lively and engaging as the books around them. If I had three more customers like you, I'd be set for life. She said, taking her last sip of coffee. Placed a hand across his chest and bowed slightly. I'll sh- I shall try to be enough. And then he says casually and softly, If I had met you in a different life, I would ask you to marry me. Lydia stood above the former stool and shook her head. I'm sorry, Javier said. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. She gathered the cups in silence. The treachery wasn't in receiving his confession. The treachery was in her unspoken response. In a different life, she might have said yes. I should get back to work, she said instead. I have, to, I have to place an order this afternoon. I'd have to prepare some parcels for the mail. He took seven new books with him that day, three of which were Lydia's recommendation. On the following Friday morning, a, shim, a summer shower washed down the street, and two large worrisome men crowded themselves in beneath the awning that hung above Lydia's bookshop door. Moments later, Javier appeared, and Lydia felt a strong measure of happiness. There would be new books to discuss. She tried to behave naturally, but as she watched those men in the doorway, her breath constricted in her chest. They're making nervous, Javier observed. I just don't know what they want. Lydia paced from her unusual position, emerging from behind the register. She, like all the other shop owners on the street, already paid the monthly mordidas imposed by the cartel. She couldn't afford to pay more. I will send them off, Javier said. Lydia protested, Jack, grabbing his arm, growing louder, even as Javier's voice dropped to a comforting head. He stepped around her when she tried to block his path. They will hurt you, she whispered as severely as she could without raising alarm. He smelled her in a way that made his mustache twitch and assured her they will not. Lydia ducked behind the counter, lowering her head as Javier opened the door and stepped outside. She watched in astonishment as they spoke to the two bold legs beneath her awning. Both men gestured to the man in green, but Javier pointed a finger that made a swimming, shooing gesture with his hand, and the men trotted off into the downpour. Lydia was reluctant to understand. 
even as his visit continued in Lincoln, as their conversations deepened into more personal matters, as she caught fleeting glimpses of the men on two other occasions, Lydia Wilson forgot the power Javier had wielded on that rainy morning. When eventually he spoke undoringly about his wife, whom he called La Reina de Mi Corazon, the Queen of My Heart, Lydia felt her defenses relax, both shields dropped further. Still, when he revealed the existence of a young mistress whom he called Lorena de Mis Pantalones, the queen of my pants. Disgusting, she said, but she surprised herself by laughing too. It was hardly unusual for a man to have an affair, but talking so openly about it with another woman was something else. For that reason, the confession served both to cure Lydia of any flattered whisper of attachment and as Javier revealed more and more of his secret self. She turned the key in the image, image, intimate lock of their friendship. They became confident, sharing jokes and observations of disappointment. They even spoke at times about the irritating things their spouses did. If you were married to me, I would never have behaved that way, Javier said, when she complained about Sebastian leaving his dirty socks on the kitchen counter. Of course not, she said. You'd be an ideal husband. I'd wash every sock in the house. Sure, I'd burn all the socks and buy new ones each week. Mm-hmm. I'd forego socks altogether. It would make you happy. Leah laughed in spite of herself. She learned to roll her eyes at their adieu proclamations because in the weather of their friendship, his flirtation was only a passing cloud. There were far more important storms between them. They discovered, for example, that both their fathers had died young from cancer, a fact that would have bonded them all by itself. They both had good dads and then lost them. It's like being a member of the shittiest club in the world, Javier said to her. For Lydia, it had been nearly 15 years, and though her sorrow was not irregular when he, when she did stumble onto it, her grief was still as cute as the day her father had died. I know, Javier said, even though she didn't say these things out loud. So she endured his intense flattery, and he in turn accepted her. Perhaps even relished her wholesale rejection of his flirtation. She came to think of it as part of his charm. But Lydia, he told her reverently, placing both hands on his heart. My mother, my other loves notwithstanding, you truly are La Reina de Mi Ama, the queen of my soul. And what did, and what would your poor wife say about that, she counted. My magnificent wife only wants me to be happy. She's a saint. He spoke frequently of his only child, a 16-year-old daughter who was at boarding school in Barcelona. Everything about him changed when he talked about her. His voice, his face, his manner. His love for her was so earnest that he handled even the subject of her with tremendous care. Her name was like a fine glass bubble he was afraid of dropping. I joke about my many loves, but the truth is only one. He smiled at Lydia. Marta, that's me, Cielo, me, Luna. He told us me, me, Estrellas. I am a mother, Leonardo. I know this love. He sat across from her on the stool. She'd come to think of it of his his. That love is so vast, I sometimes fear it. He said, I can never hope to earn it, so I fear it will disappear. It will consume me, and at the same time, it's the only good thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, Javier, that can't be true, Lydia said. The subject made him morose. He shook his head, rubbed his eyes, roughly beneath his the glasses. It just that my life hasn't turned out as I t- intended, he said. You know how it is. But she didn't. After weeks of learning about each other, this was there, their common language faltered. With the exception of having only one child, Lydia's life had turned one precisely, turned out precisely as she'd always wished it might. 
She'd given up hoping for the daughter she could no longer have. She accepted that acceptance because it, she worked at it. She was content with her choices, more than content. Lydia was happy, but Javier looked at her through the warp of his lenses, and she could see the yearning on his face. He understood. She pressed it together. Tell me, she said. He removed the glasses and folded the stems. He placed them in his breast pocket and blinked his eyes small under all what's out there. A custom shield. I thought I would be a poet, he laughed. Ridiculous, right? In this day and age. She put her hand on top of his. I thought I'd be a scholar, a quiet life. I'd do quite well with poverty, I think. She twisted her mouth, touching the elegant watch on his wrist. I'm dubious. He shrugged. I guess I do like shoes. It's a steak, she reminded him. He laughed. Yes, steak. Who doesn't like steak? Your book habit alone would, would bankrupt most people. Dios mio, you're right, Leah. I'd be a terrible pauper. The worst, she agreed. After a beat, she said, It's never too late, Javier. If you're truly unhappy, you're still a young man. I'm 51. Younger than she thought, even. Practically a baby. And what have you got to be so unhappy about, anyway? He looked down at the counter, and Lydia was surprised to see genuine torment across his features. She lowered her voice and leaned in. Then you could choose a different path, Javier. You can. You're such a gifted person, such a capable person. What's stopping you? Ah, he shook his head, replacing his glasses. She watched him, pushing his face back into its customary shape. It's all a romantic dream now. It's over. I made my choices long ago, and this is where they've led me. She squeezed his hand. It's not so bad, right? Is it? It was something she'd say to look at. She shepherded him towards optimism. Javier blinked slowly, tipped his head to one side. An ambiguous quote gesture, it will have to do. She straightened up behind the counter and took a sip of her lukewarm coffee. Your choices yielded, Marta? His eyes shined. Yes, Marta, he said. And you? Next time he came, he brought a box of conchas and sat in his usual place. There were several customers in the shop, so he opened the box and passed through the sweet treats on the napkins while Leah taught walked the aisles helping people with their requests. When they approached the counter to pay for the goods, Javier greeted them as if he worked there. He offered them punches. When at last Lydia and Ever were alone, he withdrew a small moleskin notebook from the interior pocket of his jacket and stood on the counter as well. What's this? Lydia asked. Javier swelled and everything. My poetry. Lydia's eyes grew wide with delight. I'd never shared it with anyone except Marta, he said. She's studying poetry in school and French and mathematics. She's much more gifted than her old papa. Oh, Javier. He touched the corner of his book and I said, I've been writing poetry all my life since I was a child and thought you might like to hear one. Lydia pulled her stool closer to the counter and leaned toward him, her chin resting on her propped and folded hands. Between them, she, the conscious stained their napkins with grease. Javier opened the book, its pages saw from where. He leaped carefully through them until he came to the page he had in mind. He cleared his throat before he began. Oh, the poem was terrible. It was both brave and frivolous, so bad that it made Lydia love him, love him much, much more because of how vulnerable he was in sharing it with her. When he finished reading and look, looked up for her reaction, his face was a twisted word, but her eyes were bright and reassuring, and she genuinely meant the words she gave him in that moment. How beautiful, how very beautiful. The maturing friendship with Javier was surprising in its swiftness and intensity. The flirtation that mostly 
The flotation had mostly ceased, and in its place was discovered an intimate, he seldom appearance outside the family. There was no feeling of romance on Lydia's end, but their plan was refreshing. Having reminded her in the middle of her mothering years that life was exciting, and there was always a possibility of something or someone previously undiscovered. On her birthday that day, Lydia did not recall revealing to him. Javier arrived with a silver parcel the size of a book. The rumor said, Jacques and Jenner, the principal chocolatier in Paris, Javier exclaimed. Lindsay Miller was not convinced she loved chocolate, and she actually ate every last one of the tiny method before Sebastian and Luca arrived at the shop that evening to take her out for her birthday dinner. Because of the erection of violence between rival cartels in Acapulco, Lydia and family indeed most residents no longer frequent their favorite neighborhood cafes. The challenger to the establishment was a new cartel that called itself Los Ardineros, a name that failed initially to evoke the appropriate fear in the populace. That problem had been transitory. Shortly after their formation, everyone in the city knew that the gardeners used guns only when they didn't have time to indulge their creativity. They preferred tools were more intimate. Spade, axe, sickle, hook, and machete. The simple instruments of hacking and trenching. With these, close hard dineros moved the earth at these they and seared and buried their rivals. A few of the dethroned survivors managed to join the ranks of the conquerors. Most fled the city. The result was a Recent decrease in bloodshed as the emergent winner flung a shroud of uneasy calm across the shoulders of Acapulco. Nearly four months of relative quiet followed, and the citizens of Acapulco rushed to return to the streets to the residence shops. They were eager to repair the damage to the economy. They were ready for a cocktail. So in the afternoon, so when the, so when the safest district, where tourist money had always encouraged summer spent in a restaurant selected more for security and for its menu and surrounded by the shiny faces of her family, Lydia blew out the candle on her 32nd birthday cake. Later that night, after Luca went to bed and Sebastian opened a bottle of wine on the couch, the conversation turned inevitably to the condition of life in Acapulco. Lydia stood at the open counter, leaning across it with a wine, glass of wine at her elbow. It was nice to be able to go out to dinner tonight, she said. It felt almost normal, right? Sebastian was in the living room. His legs propped on the coffee table, crossed at the ankles. There was a lot of people out. It was the first time they'd taken Luca out for a meal since last summer. Next, we have to get the tourists back, Sebastian said. Lydia took a deep breath. Tourism had always been the lifeblood of Acapulco, and the violence had scared most of these those tourists away. She didn't know how long she'd be able to keep the shop afloat if they didn't return. It was tempting to hope that recent pay... Peace signaled a sea change. Do you think things might really get better now? She asked because Sebastian's knowledge of the cartels was exhaustive, which both impressed and discomforted her. He knew things. Most people were like Lydia. They didn't want to know. They tried to insulate themselves from the ugliness of the nar- narco violence because they couldn't handle it. But Sebastian was ravenous for it. A free press was the last line of defense. He said the only thing left standing between the people of Mexico and complete annihilation. It was a vocation it was his vocation, and when they were young he did she'd admire that idealism. She'd imagine that any child of Sebastian's would come out of her womb honorably with a fully formed and unimpeachable morality. She couldn't even have to teach her babies right from wrong. 
but now the cartels murdered the Mexican journalist every few weeks and Lydia recoiled from her husband's integrity. I felt sanctimonious, selfish. She wanted Sebastian alive more than she wanted his strong principles. She wished he would quit, do something simple and save her. She tried to be supportive, but sometimes it made her angry that he chose his danger. When the anger flared up and intruded, they moved around it like a piece of furniture too big for the room it occupied. It's already better, Sebastian, and thoughtfully from behind his wine glass. I mean it's quieter, Lydia said. But it's really better. But is it really better? That depends on your criteria, I guess. You looked up at her. If you'd like to go out to dinner, then yes, things are better. Lydia frowned. She really did like to go out to dinner. What was she? Was she that superficial? The new jefe is smart, Sebastian said. He knows that stability is under key and he wants peace. So they'll see maybe things will get better under those party narrows than they were before. Better how? You think he can fix the economy? Bring back tourism? I don't think, I don't know, maybe. Sebastian shrugged. If he can really stanch the violence long term, for now, at least it's limited to other narcos. They're not running around murdering innocents for fun. What about that kid on the beach last week? Collateral damage. Lydia cringed and cold and took a gulp of wine. Her husband wasn't a callous man. She hated it when he talked like this. Sebastian saw her flinch and stood up to reach across the counter. He squeezed her hands. I know it's awful, he said, but that kid on the beach was an accident. He was caught in the crossfire, that's all I meant. They, they weren't gunning for him. He tugged lightly on her hand. Come sit with me. Lydia rounded the corner and joined him on the couch. I know you don't like to think of it like this, but at the end of the day, these guys were our businessmen, and this one is smarter than most. He put his arm around her. He's not your typical narco. In a different life, he could have been Bill Gates or something, an entrepreneur. Crazy, she said, threading one arm across his midsection and resting her head on his chest. Maybe he should run for mayor. I think he's more of a chamber of commerce kind of guy, Sebastian laughed, but Lydia couldn't. They were quiet for a moment, and then Sebastian said, La Lucheza. La Lucheza. What? What's his name? That's his name, the owl. Now he, she was able to laugh. Are you serious? She set up to look him in the face to determine if he was messing with her. Sometimes he, <coughs> sometimes he said nonsense just to test how gullible she was. This time his face was innocent. Al, what a terrible name! That's a terrible name. She laughed again. Al's not scary. What do you mean? Al's a terrifying brother. Said she shook her head. Ooh, he said. Oh my God! Stop it. He worked his fingers into her hair and she felt intent there, leaning against his chest. She could smell the sweet, wet wine on his breath. I love you, Sebastian. Ooh, he said again. They both laughed. They kissed. Left the wine on the table. It wasn't until much later that night when Lydia sat trying to read in the circle of lamp by the illumined only her side of the bed, where Sebastian had long since fallen asleep, his head resting on the bare skin of his arm. He snorted. His snore sobbed bell of familiarity in the room that Lydia felt the dark was something worse than pierced her consciousness. Something Sebastian he had said. In a different life he could have been, he could have been Bill Gates. She folded her book clothes and set it on her nightstand. In a different life. The words echoed uncomfortably through her mind. She pulled off the covers and swung her leg over the edge of the bed. Sebastian stirred but didn't wake. Her baggy t-shirt barely covered her backside. <coughs> And her feet were cold against it. <coughs> when that tired of the hallway, she padded toward the kitchen to the table where 
the three of them often are ate dinner together. Yes, backpack was there, but not entirely zipped shut. She pulled out his laptop and turned on the light over the stuff. There were notebooks in the backpack too, and several files for stuff with photos and documents. <coughs> Lydia hoped she was wrong, but she knew somehow that what she would find before she found it. Near the bottom of second pictures in the second wall, they're there sitting at, at, <coughs> at a table of They were sitting at a table of brother with several other men, the face that was now dear to her. <coughs> the wide mustache. The recognizable glasses. There was no question who the chooser was. Behind the wine and the cake and dinner, she could still taste his chocolates on her tongue. Thank you for listening to this chapter. Have a good week and enjoy the holiday season.